Welcome to the Multi-Passionaire Podcast. My name is Olivia Martin, and this is episode 26 of the Multi-Passionaire. In today's episode, Vienna and I talk about the science behind fashion and sustainability. Vienna is a New York City-based fashion blogger who has a passion for the intersection of science and style. She graduated from Cornell University with a Bachelor's of Science in Fiber Science. Outside of running her sustainability blog, Styled by Science, she's a strategic account manager at Walmart e-commerce. We talk about the science and construction behind the quality of fabrics that we wear, the importance and creation of sustainable clothing, and the logistics of running a side hustle. I'm with Vienna, and we're going to kick off with the question that I ask each guest, and it's the million-dollar question. So what's an idea or passion that you've always wanted to embark on and create, but you haven't done so yet? Yeah, I really like that question. Um, I started my blog not too long ago, actually, so only about a year. And I think as I've been considering where to take this content creation journey, I think, you know, I really want to make the educational component a really big focus. So one thing I've really wanted to do is to be able to visit different factories or vendors and do some sort of virtual field trip for people um, where they can really see the behind the scenes of how their clothes were made. Um, sort of like a meet the maker, meet the manufacturer kind of series. I think that that will add an additional layer of interaction to the content I normally make. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I don't think I've seen like many people do that. So I think it would like provide kind of like a one-on-one just for people to like understand what you're passionate about, but then also like I don't know a huge background behind like fabrics and like that's kind of what you studied. So having the wisdom and then like actually being able to like feel it and then like why it's important. So you're based in New York City. Do you think that would be kind of like the hub of how you'd start it? Yeah, that's a great question. So actually textiles manufacturing in New York City has gone down significantly over the past decades. So really, it's actually pretty hard to see the production happen here. So I think that's one of the challenges So a lot of it would require traveling, which is why it takes some more preparation ahead of time. Um, But there are some fabric vendors in the city that we could definitely visit and unsure what medium that would be shown through, but maybe like stories, IGTV, different possibilities to play around with. But that's kind of an idea I've had. Yeah. So I kind of like the first thing for this episode, I want to understand and kind of just hear your experience what made you like interested in fiber science? Like, how did you come across that? Yeah, so I actually studied fiber science at Cornell in 2013. So it's a very small major, actually. A lot of the people in the program studied fashion design, uh, whereas I focused more on the technical aspects of textiles. And I actually did it because I was looking into medicine at the time. So, really? Yeah. So I was pre-med and I thought maybe this could be a really good curriculum with a unique focus that still fulfills all of my science requirements. And I think I learned pretty quickly that medicine wasn't really the path for me. Um, But at the same time, there was so much rich knowledge there in textiles that I could translate into the fashion industry or elsewhere. Um, So that ended up being the path that I took and no regrets, really. I learned a lot. And in addition to having the science background, I'm glad that I can kind of translate that to fashion. 
Yeah, exactly. So not only having like the knowledge behind how the fabric's made, but like you can kind of style it. So it's kind of like perfect pairing because you have both the technical and like the fashion pairing, like mind. Yep, definitely. The two worlds come together pretty well. Yeah. So kind of the focus for this episode is diving into like the science behind fashion. Like we all know certain like fashion icons or fashion, like staple items, but kind of unpacking like what goes into the materials. So what are some of like the main fabrics that you'll find within like maybe fast fashion or like most fashion staples? Yeah. So when it comes to fast fashion, I mean, it's mass produced. It's very inexpensive. So in terms of quality of the material, they don't have as much to work with. Um, So whereas when I've worked for luxury brands before, like the way they source their products is very particular. And obviously they're dealing with much more precious materials like cashmere, silk. Um, But in fast fashion, most of it are synthetic blends. Um, So polyester is one of the biggest synthetic fibers that is made on large scale and very inexpensive. It's durable, it's easy to dye. So I think from like a cost effectiveness approach that tends to be the most popular material that is used in fast fashion. Cotton as well, I think because it's so naturally abundant, it's actually not as expensive um, compared to linen or other forms of cellulose fibers that are more rare. Um, But one way that fast fashion businesses keep their costs down is they usually blend it with synthetic fibers. So similar properties, similar feel, but obviously polyester is cheaper to produce. So that tends to be a very common thing. Yeah. And I know like within like just our society, it's kind of like the health trend to look for like more natural fibers, but obviously with those, it's more of a higher price point, but yeah, that's something I didn't really think about if you have like the fast fashion just to qualify for that, like, oh, it's like something X amount high-end quality, it would put like 1% or something and then the rest would be like synthetic. Yeah. And material is really just one component. I would say like when you look at a higher piece, higher priced garment, there's also embellishments and trims, different fabric constructions that are just more complex to make. Um, But for fast fashion, you don't really see a lot of those special details or the construction is not as robust to give it that look that you can get through higher quality garment. So a lot of differences, material is probably the biggest one and there's other details as well. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned silk and I think like some people love silk. Some people don't think it's like animal safe, cruelty-free behind it. What What's your opinion on that? Yeah. So the reason that silk people have ethical issues with it is that they need the way that they harvest the silk, they actually have to boil the silkworm. So yeah, so I think a lot of the ethics behind it, that's probably the most problematic aspect. Um, But you know, I think that it is such a precious material that has special properties that other natural and synthetic fibers just can't replicate. So I really I love the material itself. But I think there are some drawbacks in the way that we currently make it on a large scale. So it's pretty interesting to see like bioengineers and science come into play where people are trying to find different ways of producing silk in a laboratory 
I think so Bolt Threads, they are a bio bioengineering company that is making silk to be biologically similar to what we find through spiders. And I think they just use yeast and some other lab grown materials to produce that. So I, yeah, and I think they're one of the first companies to really commercialize that innovation. And it's relatively new. So I'm definitely excited to see that becoming like a larger play in fashion and becoming a more, you know, accessible material in the future. Yeah, for sure. I think whenever you hear the term like silk, you kind of associate with like, oh, luxury item. But then also like you're saying, there are like synthetic silks out there. But if you say I have like synthetic silk, it's kind of like a, a faux thing. So it's not really like. Yeah, yeah. I've actually seen that. I think they call it like vegan silk. Yeah, the most common ones I've heard are vegan silk, which is not actually silk. It's still synthetic, but it has the look and the feel of silk. I've also heard of pea silk, which I'm not clear on the exact process, but they apparently don't kill the silkworm in the process of harvesting the fiber. So different alternatives. I think what's exciting is there's enough work being done out there that people are being offered different options that align with their values. Yeah. And then on the flip side of like silk, you kind of think of it for like the health aspects of things. Like I did buy a silk pillowcase just because you, there's this like trend around, oh, it's great for your skin, your sleep, but then also you have to kind of really weigh down. Is it really? Because there's so many, like, if you get it like imported from like China where like silk's abundant, you don't exactly know if it's like fully like legitimate. So. Yeah. Well, I guess our FTC, like they have a pretty strict labeling requirement. So brands would get in trouble if they mislabel their goods and they're not actually the material they say it is. Um, But on the flip side, I think it brings up the interesting topic of whether all silks are made the same. And the answer is no. Like there are certain silks that have a higher grade and quality. Um, It really depends on the thickness of the fiber. So obviously the thicker it is, um, usually it's, I believe it's a higher grade. So different grades of silk qualities out there. And it's important to read the label to see what, what category that material falls into. Yeah, exactly. And another thing that popped into my head, have you ever heard of like Egyptian cotton? Yeah. Like that's another like high end like fabric. Yeah. So natural fibers, there's always a grade, um, in terms of quality. So it comes down to that. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of want to segue into like the sustainability like efforts. So like environmentally friendly fabrics and kind of like practices you can kind of implement within your own routines. So I think like living in New York City, thrifting is kind of something that's everywhere because it's like a trend. So do you have any tips for like practicing sustainability, whether that's like thrifting or looking for certain brands that you follow? Yeah, I feel like my approach to sustainability is quite different. And I realize there's no one right way to practice it. I think it's what works for you and your lifestyle. So I find, you know, thrifting is a great option, but it also takes a lot of time to treasure hunt for that one piece that fits you and your personal taste. Um, And then buying sustainable brands, like it can be expensive too. 
So not within everyone's budget, but I think the one thing that everyone can practice is proper fabric care. So, you know, learning the reason behind why we take care of certain materials in a specific way or, you know, minor adjustments we can make to our laundry habits that extend the lifetime of the garments that we own. I think that has a really good cumulative impact to the environment. Um, and then just, you know, preserving the lifetime that we can keep our clothes for. So all of that is kind of what I mainly focus on in terms of my day-to-day -day habits. And I think it's it's been making a difference. Yeah. Would you mind sharing like any like laundry practices, I guess, that you follow and you think do help? Yeah, let me think. I think my favorite is. And these were really easy to implement too, like washing your clothes in cold water consistently. I think that that is helpful. Um, your dye particles actually come loose in higher temperatures. So that's why using cold water is a great way to preserve the color of your clothes. Um, the second benefit of it is that it saves you energy as well. So cold water is definitely much more beneficial to to your clothes. Um, and then the second is a lot of people like to throw everything into the dryer, but a lot of things are not meant or they just don't have the durability to hold up in a lot in a high temperature setting like that. So learning to air dry some of your clothes, especially if they're delicate, I think that that is another really great way to make your clothes last. Yeah. Those are all great tips. And I think those are definitely like applicable if you kind of just implement them with your routine and like give dedicated time to actually follow through with them. Because like you said, cold water actually does help to not shrink your clothes. And I think that's like yeah. really important because if you have like nice true to fit like items, they're not really meant to be like washed hot or like in really high like heat. Yeah, that's another great point. And the dryer too also shrinks your items sometimes. So. so I was reading on your blog something about like the recycled fibers. What's what are like kind of the benefits or like the process of turning that and then making it into like clothing? Yeah. So the most common recycled fiber we see now is polyester. And that's the one I'm more familiar with. I've seen it being done for nylon now too. Um, but polyester seems to be taking a lot of attention in the recycled fiber space. And yeah, I mean, it's actually not too hard because polyester is a melt-spun fiber. So you can take, you know, plastic chips, melt them down, spin them through. It looks like a nozzle head. Um, so the fibers get spun through that and they solidify into long continuous fibers. So as long as you have the right starting source, which is the plastic or PET, it can always be made into polyester again. Um, the trouble though is that polyester, it can't be recycled indefinitely because some of the quality does wear down over time. So while I think it's a good practice to divert some of the landfill waste to make it into reusable materials, I think it's important to understand that it's not something we can do indefinitely. And eventually these items do end up in the landfill. It's just a matter of delaying that process. So I think it's still important to be mindful of our plastic waste and our consumption habits. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a question, kind of just hearing about like your wisdom within like just material science. 
whenever you were taking your classes at Cornell, like what were certain like aspects of the major that you were really like passionate about? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because when I took a lot of these courses, it felt you could tailor it to fashion, but there's also many other applications of materials beyond clothing. So I think what was fascinating was exploring like materials that I thought only had one use, but could be used in so many other ways. Um, So I think cellulose, that's a really good example. So cotton is made of cellulose, but cellulose itself is naturally occurring in so many different forms. And so it could be used in medical applications. It can be used in water filtration. It's used in stationary paper, so many different goods. Um, So I think it was just a really great place to explore all of that. So when you were learning about it and like the research, did you actually do like hands-on labs, like to interact with like the fibers and projects? Yeah. So we did, we have an intro course that's all dedicated to testing fibers. Um, So in a laboratory sense, like burning the fibers, looking at it under the microscope, like working within a very intimate way. So you know what it smells like, what it looks like, how it feels. Um, I think unlike any other science, uh, textile science is very sense-based. So a lot of it is just based on seeing and feeling it. So did you ever like create your own like fabric? Like, I don't know, blend two fabrics together or anything like that? Yeah, we've actually never done any like small batch manufacturing, but I did get to see polyester fibers spun in a mini pilot plant in school. So that was cool. Um, we've had some weaving looms, so devices used to weave fabrics together and had a chance to like practice the process of weaving a fiber, weaving a material. So, yeah, it's really neat whenever you like get to see the process of something being made, just because it kind of makes you like value it more. I think whenever you're investing in like, say a really prominent, like sustainable brand, even though it's at a higher price point, when you know the values, when you know what's being like into the work of actually getting like the production of the material, it kind of like just resonates with you better. Yeah. Yeah. Just seeing the craftsmanship, the work that goes into everything. Um, But I think because textiles is so extensive, like I've actually never seen the end-to-end process in person um, because there's also just like the people who harvest the material, the people who dye the material, and then weaving the fabric is almost towards the end stage. But some of the beginning aspects of it are what I'd like to experience one day. Yeah, absolutely. So whenever you're looking for like sustainable brands, what are some like, like certain aspects that kind of like are a good check off like green box kind of thing? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I think Obviously, you know, making sure that the people who make the goods are making a livable wage, like I think that that's very important. But speaking just to the product side of things, I think there's a lot of reputable programs out there now that actually check to make sure that these manufacturers are in line with what they say to be sustainable. So um, Oecotex, I think that's a really big one. Blue Sign, that's another great um, organization. So these are third-party programs that 
vet brands um, to make sure that their products are actually compliant with safety standards. And it's evaluating everything from end to end, not just one piece of the product, but the holistic process for making that item. So that's one thing I look for. I think secondly, you know, a lot of companies have technical sounding claims to the customer that aren't actually verified in any way. So it's definitely something that requires research myself too. You know, like when someone says that something is biodegradable or antibacterial, like these are technical claims. And a lot of times it's just boasting on the material itself, but not anything that they've added or done specially to the fabric. So I think it's, it, it can be a slippery slope, but it's important to look into, you know, do they have any data to really support what they say? Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point in terms of like active wear. I think that's like super important because like, if you buy a pair of workout leggings and they like, don't live up to like the claims, like then it's kind of like, it doesn't fulfill the promise the brand is giving to you. Yeah, I'm active wear. I think a lot of functional clothing, especially when they, because those are the ones that most commonly make claims like that. So active wear, I think swimwear is another big one. Um, a lot of these specialty clothings, like they, brands need to be clear on, you know, how they're getting that information and why they advertise it that way. It shouldn't just be vague marketing. Yeah, absolutely. And then also back to your point about if it's biodegradable, it's not like you're going to go test it to like see if it's actually valid. So it you're kind of just relying on their truth of word. Yeah. Although I've seen some people like, I think packaging nowadays, like people use biodegradable packaging. So I enjoy it when brands actually have like data to say, we've tried to compost this and it actually breaks down in standard composting environments within X number of days. Like, I think even something like that makes customers gain more trust and it's not just a hearsay kind of situation. So I kind of want to segue into like learning more about your blog. So Styled by Science, what really inspired you to create and run your own fashion blog? Like, have you always been interested in entrepreneurship? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I actually started the project about a year ago and it really grew out of the pandemic. I was looking to do something exciting that really gave me, you know, a creative avenue or outlet. And I just thought like I wanted to have a fashion blog, but there weren't too many fashion blogs that really discussed some of the science and technical aspects of fashion. There are scientists who run fashion blogs, but their fashion blog isn't necessarily focused on the science piece. So I just thought, you know, if nothing like this exists, why, why don't I just start it myself? And I think it's just an accumulation of my experience, you know, studying fiber science in college, working a handful of jobs in the industry and getting that hands-on knowledge, and then really applying it now to my day-to-day -day and sharing it with people. Yeah. So like right now with what you have, what do you think, like what's next for like your blog? Yeah, it's interesting that you mention entrepreneurship because I actually never really saw it as a, as a potential business, but obviously could 
definitely take that form. So I think it's something that I'm considering as well in terms of, you know, my next steps. Um, I do, I do want to make education like a really big component of my content. Um, I also want to make sure that there is a high quality of partnerships that I take on with different brands and making sure that the products I endorse are trusted. So there is a lot in the works. Um, other aspects of it are just collaboration, like working with you on this podcast and other creatives out there who have kind of that same mission and working together. So that's awesome. And it's kind of like nice just having like a creative outlet, like outside of work or like outside of technical work, just because it gives you kind of like a way to kind of just, I don't know, work on something that's not related to like the left and right side, like one's creative, one's like more so like thinking logically. So yeah. And I like breaking down the silo kind of being able to engage both sides of the mind and integrating the two. So kind of having your blog and then having like the material science background, would you ever like foresee yourself creating like a fashion brand, maybe like an item or like, have you ever thought of something like tangible that you would create? Yeah. I've had friends ask me this too. (laughs) Um, I think it's really exciting to see a lot of startup brands now, you know, really tailored to different customer segments. So I think workwear is a really great example. We've seen a lot of brands kind of empower women in business and other roles where they have to dress up formally for work, just being able to offer some staple office wear pieces that are accessible and high quality. So definitely seeing a growing market for that. Um, I would say, I think coming from a more technical background, like I'm less in touch with the design aspects of clothing and more so just like the early stages of how materials were made. I think for me, I've never really dreamt of starting a product line of my own, but I could see myself, you know, and it's a continual learning process, but obviously serving as a consultant in some ways to brands who need advice on sourcing their materials or yeah, tapping more into the technical focus of things. Um, That's kind of where I see myself play in. Yeah. Or even if you like, you had a research opportunity, maybe doing that. And then. Yes. Yeah. The research and development side is big as well. So kind of just unpacking science, what do you think fascinates you the most or kind of like is a driving factor of creating like your science blog and like reaching out to the community? Yeah, I think one is there was not a lot of women. I mean, women are still pretty underrepresented in the STEM fields in general. So I think the other general message, other than the educational component, is hopefully inspiring other women, yeah, who are in similar fields, who didn't know that they can do something creative with the knowledge they have. Um, And also just, you know, empowering them to feel proud of the backgrounds they come from. And just letting them realize that we have the potential to do this and we can set examples for younger girls and younger generations to lean into these fields. Yeah, absolutely. And then I saw on your LinkedIn that you work within e-commerce like full-time. So how do you kind of leverage like your experience with like that corporate position to then kind of help you 
kind of build your company, like as in you have that experience that you can kind of like grow the foundation? Yeah. So I work in e-commerce. A lot of it is digital. So I think a lot of the knowledge that goes into how a site operates and, you know, like SEO, that's another really big term. Like all of that is more second nature to me because I'm working with it so often in e-commerce. And a lot of that is actually pretty relevant to running your own website. Um, So that's the biggest connection I can see. I think having come from a science background though, a lot, there's a lot of data in e-commerce. So when you're looking at it through that lens, it's like e-commerce is also pretty scientific. Like there's a lot of data there that you can analyze, a lot of conclusions you can reach based on how customers are shopping for an item. Um, I think one does feed into each other pretty in ways that you wouldn't expect, but I think the connections are definitely there. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess like having the blog created, what are like some lessons learned that you wish you would have like known before you created the blog? Yeah, and there's a lot of hard lessons. <laughs> you know, I think when you start the blog, there's like so many different avenues that you can put your attention in and it's very hard to juggle all things. So when I first started, I was like, how much time do I spend growing the Instagram versus the blog versus the Pinterest or like, you know, a lot of things. And it's not even just those social channels. I see a lot of bloggers juggling with four or five different channels. And then Clubhouse, I think that became popular like a few months ago. So it's like, oh, now another thing to add to my plate. And I've seen a lot of people, they've dabbled in a lot of things and they've done well, but I'll be honest, like I'm not much, Clubhouse wasn't really for me, I felt like. And then secondly, Pinterest is like, it's changed a lot. It's not what it was like a few years ago. So a lot of, you know, original bloggers from back in the day will say like 90% of my traffic came through Pinterest. I was spending a lot of time trying to optimize it and wasn't getting the results, honestly. So I think I've learned after a lot of experimentation that it's okay to do what feels authentic to you and do what feels is time effective. If one platform doesn't feel genuine to how you would normally express yourself, that's okay. Um, And some people might feel that way about Instagram too. Like it's, there's no wrong answer I'm learning. Um, It's really how I juggle my time and you know, what my priorities are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you're saying, like with any just content creation, even if you're just like a normal Instagram user, it's like consistency is like how you lead to growth. Just because like with everything being pushed out, like you said, Pinterest, Pinterest is so like oversaturated where it's kind of hard to like, it's just hard to grow. It is. And the algorithm's always changing. So you just never know. And it's probably similar with Instagram. Like there is a whole movement towards making reels and using that as the way to grow. But I'm not really much of a video expert or entertainer in that sense. So, you know, I, I do push myself to try new things if I haven't experimented with a certain medium, but I, I do balance it. Um, try not to give myself a hard time if that's just not what feels natural to me. So a last question I kind of have is like, 
what's like something that you kind of live by? Like what's like a life motto that kind of drives like your passions It kind of just keeps you going? And yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think, you know, we live in a very overcomplicated world and I think it's ironic to see even in the sustainability scene that things are becoming very commercialized and consumeristic. And, you know, people have this mindset that in order to be a good consumer, I need to buy certain products that have certain labels, which is ironic because the whole purpose of being sustainable is to actually reduce our waste and use what we have rather than buying new. So, you know, I think for me, it's keeping that in check for myself. So how do I live gratefully and simply, you know, making sure my needs are met, but I'm caring for the environment in some way, doing that. And I'm also caring for people who are making those products, um, just giving more thought into all of those aspects. Yeah. Well, Fiona, thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Olivia. Thank you for listening to the Multi-Passioneer podcast. Please give a review on Apple Podcast and follow our Instagram at Multi-Passioneer. Stay tuned for new episodes. I know it's been a while since an episode has come out, but I really hope that you enjoyed this episode with Vienna and I.